You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Let's stand together as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. Notice where we catch Saul. He is not in a good place. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he, and I want you to catch this, now as he went on his way. Oh man, there's a lot of people, maybe even in this room, you're you're on a path, you're on your way, but I don't want you to stay on your way, okay? Notice this. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, and this is the shock of his life, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drink, or drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias will come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Notice this, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this story. Because sometimes, God, in this world, it feels like that all of our efforts hit a wall. Sometimes it feels like that as believers, our best efforts go nowhere. But remind us, Lord, to be faithful, that all things are possible, Lord, when we put our trust in you. God, encourage the saints today. And Lord, I pray that if there is a Saul in this room, someone who has been running from the truth for many a long year, that you will turn them away from their way, that they may find the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Oh, God can do anything. God can do anything, amen? I know you believe that, but I just need you to really believe it. 
God can do anything. There is no limit to what he can do. I find myself as a person of faith and someone who has followed Jesus for many years and preached Jesus for many years, I still find myself engaging that part of my mind that is logical, rational, uh, empirical, trying to figure things out and trying to understand the world around me. And that's okay. I have said for a long time, it'd be great if Christians did engage their minds from time to time. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not enough. We have to believe in something more than the mind can conjure. We have to believe in the power of God. We don't come here so that we can be impressed with rhetoric. We don't come here to be impressed with morality. We come here to be shook up by the Holy Spirit of God. We believe that Jesus is alive, amen? And we believe that his spirit works in and through us, amen? And so we need to start acting like it, amen? Yes, we need to start acting like it. And the remarkable conversion of Saul of Tarsus is perhaps one of the most beautiful pictures of God's saving power. One thing is for sure as you read this text, Saul didn't see it coming. He did not see it coming. It was a blind side. And I think that for many of us, when we came to know Jesus, that's the way it was. But I wonder how many of our neighbors here in Springfield are going to be touched by the faithful witness that you're going to provide. Right now, they do not know their left hand from their right spiritually, but I believe by you being faithful to the call of God on your life, that person could come to know Jesus. Today, they may be fishing or playing golf or doing something that has nothing to do with God, but God is ready to shake up a lot of souls in Springfield, and he wants to use you to do it. Now, there's where I know we have a disconnect. I know that you're fine with God making a, 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 a wonderful revival happen here in, in Springfield, not just at Ridgecrest, but in the, in the Springfield area and around. You'd love to see revival come to the nation, but I don't know how many of you actually believe that it could happen as a result of your witness. But I'm here to tell you today that it is your witness that we're waiting for. Every one of you individually, we want to see what God is going to do through you. God is going to do something wonderful. As I've been thinking about this time together today, as, as I've meditated the last three days very uh, specifically on this text of Scripture, I've been thinking about dreams and dreaming. I know that sounds crazy. We're going to talk more about that as we move into our treasure principles. Two weeks away, I'm going to reveal these seven treasure principles, our values. But one of the things that I read, and, and have, I've just not been able to get it off my mind, when we are really passionate about something, when there's something that we really care about, we dream or daydream about it. And I just want to ask you this question. When it comes to your faith, do you ever dream about the things of God? What is it that drives you? What are the dreams of your life? Now, for me, when my kids were, were little, I, was, I would dream about the day that they would find their, their mate, their spouse, and thinking about family, I would daydream about what that might look like. Oh, man, I think we're getting a lot closer to those days. It's hard to believe. Whew, scary stuff. Avery, she was here a few weeks ago, and we're sitting at the table, and she says, Dad, I don't want to make you mad, and I don't want you to get upset with me, but my wedding's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> I've been duped. I've been set up. She was like, you can't complain about it. And I was like, no, wait a second. That's not how this works. And, but that's brilliant, right? She needs to be a lawyer. That was a preemptive strike. Where could I go? But what do you dream about? Uh, let me just ask you, have you ever dreamed uh, about God's house being full? Have you ever dreamed about you seeing someone come to know Christ? Have you ever dreamed the kinds of things that I think that Jesus would have us dream about? 
I wonder sometimes. We, we know that we should be excited about worship. We should be excited about people coming to know Jesus. But do we dream about it? Do we have hearts that long to see God move? Have you ever had a daydream of that person in your life? Maybe a family member. Maybe a famous person, a powerful person in politics. Have you ever just dreamt of what would happen if they came to know Jesus? You see, I believe when our hearts are right, we're dreaming like that. We're not just dreaming about wealth or getting our way. We're dreaming about the things of God. And so what I'm asking you to consider, dear church, is I'm asking you to consider to open your mind, even your subconscious, to the dreams that God has for you. You can tell me about your dreams all day long, and they may be spectacular, or they may be just weird. I tell people that sometimes my dreams are like bad Beatles songs. You know, like 70, 71, 72, they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing, and those songs are weird, okay? Those aren't the kind of dreams I want you to have, okay? I want you to have dreams that magnify the glory of God. Now, why I'm talking about dreams is because I wonder how many in the church could have ever dreamt that a man named Saul of Tarsus would turn from his wicked ways, turn from his murderous intent, and turn to Jesus. Who would have dared dream such a dream? I'm asking you, church, are you bold enough to dream like that? To dream for remarkable conversions, radical conversions. That's what we need to start thinking about. Church has to be more than a Sunday morning pastime. It has to be more than a Wednesday night uh, splurge every once in a while. Wow, I had time this week. I was able to go to church. No, it needs to be more than that. We have relegated spirituality to our back seat or, you know, if you have a third row, back to the third row, I remember, you know, uh, back in the day when, when we didn't wear seat belts and stuff, you remember those old station wagons where you sit in the back, no seat belts, you're faced the wrong way? How did we not all die? <laughs> so many of us have put all of our dreams in a very unsafe place because they're dreams that are material and will wilt away, rust away, uh, there where moth can grab hold and chew on. Listen. We need to start having dreams that are eternal, immortal, because they are all about Jesus. I love this passage, and I love all of these passages that we've been looking at, because we're not just talking about the radical conversions, we're talking about the obedient faith of Christians. Today it's Ananias. We've seen Stephen's faithful witness. We've seen Philip's faithful witness, and today it's Ananias. I love these passages because they show us that the divine equation does have two sides. An, uh, an equation, by the way, I'm being reintroduced to high school algebra, and I absolutely hate it. I sat down for two hours the other night with algebra homework. No, thank you. I'm a literature guy. But one thing I see is that an equation has two sides, right? There's two sides of any equation, and I want you to know that Jesus understands that when it comes to salvation. Yes, there is what God is doing on the other side. Here, Saul of Tarsus would be the one who is receiving the gospel message. But I want you to see that the other side of the equation is a faithful witness. And for every single person in this room, you're either on one side or the other of that equation. You are other, you're either on the side of the equation where you need Jesus, or you are on the side of the equation where you need to faithfully share Jesus. Those are the only two options. Everybody in this room qualifies on one side of the equation or the other. Where are you? Oh, I love this passage because you see God doing what only God can do, turning Saul's heart around. But we also see obedience. 
The word immediately pops up there in the text where a man is asked to go and do a hard thing. Listen, by him going in the presence of Saul, if you're like me and you're thinking too much, I'm sure Ananias' first thought was, well, yeah, I could go see this Saul guy, but it's probably a trick. He's probably acting, feigning like he's a believer so that he can draw the believers out from hiding. Are you following me? And then have them killed. But God says, don't you worry about that. I got you covered. And Ananias believed him. He was immediately obedient to his vision. There's more than one vision going on here in this text. There's more than one place that the Spirit is at work. I'm going to tell you, when God is at work, he's at work on all sides of the equation. You can count on it. And God, when he works, he works in a big way. But let me just ask you this question. If God begins to push in on you, will you push back? As God presses in, don't push back. I think the church today, I know many of us are feeling something, that God is doing something in our lives. We know that we are hungry for something more. What you're feeling is God pushing in. But the question for this morning is, Will you push back? A God of miracles is at work around you. And I'm praying that the scales will fall off your eyes, that you may see the Holy Spirit's work. Listen, I want you to know God is merciful. If you have said no to, to the work of Jesus a thousand times, if you say yes today to him, he will do amazing things in your life. If you've said no a thousand times, this one yes is all it takes to turn your life around don't let the devil tell you that a thousand no's means that there needs to be a thousand yeses. That's not the way it works in the economy of grace. God is waiting for you to say yes. And when you do, he'll do the rest. That's a beautiful thing. Really old Puritan. I mentioned that Richard Sibbs is a Puritan because I love to talk about the Puritans. They had the coolest hats. Their hats were amazing. If you go back and look at their hats, they're, they're marvelous. Um, no, they're actually quite ugly. But their theology, their theology was much better than their hats. And here's what Sibbs said. I love this. He was such a soft and tender heart. He said, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. You hear that? <laughs> Man, write that down, baby. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, but don't put, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's... Bad thing, kids don't listen to your pastor on that score. That's good stuff. That's something that you need. That's something that you can write home about. That's good. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. We have hope, brothers and sisters, because we have Jesus. And in our passage today, we see some amazing things. We see in Saul a change of direction. We see a change of vocation. And we see a change of vision. Let me just breeze through these real quick so that you can get out of here and get to Sunday school or lunch or whatever you're going to do. I'm very glad you're here. But I'm hoping that wherever you thought you were going next, it's different than you thought at the beginning of the day. Because I pray you'll have a change of direction. That you will go away from your way uh, and find his way. My way versus his way. Oh, friends, our hearts are strong, and our hearts often drive in our own direction. But here's the problem. If you go in the direction of your own heart, then you're requiring everybody to go on that ride with you. Do you realize that if we all try to go after our own heart, we're all going to try to take a different path, and that leads to chaos, 
In the last 10 years, I've spent quite a bit of time in Asia, uh, Taiwan. I've been in South Asia some. I've been around, uh, even in Italy, I saw this a little bit. I actually had to drive in Italy, and those who were with me on the mission team, uh, they all aged 10 years in a week. Right, David? Don't say nothing. All right. I only got two tickets. It was not a bad trip. But anyway, actually I did, and both of them were totally unfair. Um, totally. Um, so, so uh, but Asia, let's get back to Asia because um, there I didn't get a ticket. But in Asia, in Asia, what I noticed was, was that, you know, they had lanes on their roads, um, but they were mere suggestions. <laughs> lanes meant nothing. I saw this with cars and especially with mopeds. Um, uh, you know, the, the, that wonderful piece of old music, uh, Krimskoff, uh, The Flight of the Bumblebees. Okay, that's what I had in my mind as I saw all these things going on. I didn't have to drive there, praise the Lord. But nobody seemed to care about the lanes. Now, I'm making a joke here, but I want you to realize, do you realize that is the problem with people in the world today? The reason why there's so much chaos is, is that everybody's going their own way. You know, God has laid out some lanes here, and they're really good lanes. They will keep us out of wrecks. They'll keep us out of trouble, but people are going their own way. Look at the passage, but Saul still breathing, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, verses one and two. Ask for letters to the synagogue of Damascus that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, Saul is going his own way. Now, I love this in verse 3. I think it is intentional. It says literally, now, as he, Saul, went on his own way. That's the point. He has chosen this terrible path. This is what he desires. And he is doing great harm. Let me just say this. You may think that your path, your way, is harmless. But as long as you continue to go down your way without respect to God and without respect to others, you will do damage. If you have to have it your way, oh yeah, it's more than a burger, baby. If you're going to have it your way, you'll have it. Or is that Subway? That's Subway. My goodness, I'm losing my mind. I need to sleep more. I don't watch enough TV, sorry. But anyway, if you have it your way, you will do harm. Listen, counseling offices are filled with people who have been wrecked by people doing their own thing. We have to find God's way, and sometimes God will break through. Now, notice this. It's a 150-mile journey from Jerusalem to Damascus, and somewhere on that path, a light from heaven came and flashed all around Saul, and he heard this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I want you to notice something here. He uses that word Saul. I believe at this time, he's already Saul and Paul, and you say, well, how is that possible? Well, I think I've shared this with some of you before, but have you ever taken a foreign language class? And you have your name, and then you have your name for your class. So Paul would have been a very Roman name. So when he was learning Latin, my guess is, is that his teacher, he became known as Paul in that context, in that Roman Latin context, and he remained Saul in his Hebrew context. But if you were to ask him, or if you were to say, okay, what did your mama call you? It would have been Saul. Now notice when God begins to work, when Jesus speaks to this man, he calls him by the same name his mother would call him by. It is personal. He reaches, Jesus reaches directly into his heart and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now let me just say this. You can ignore me all you want this morning. Some of you are doing a really good job of it. 
I mean, I'm throwing out every, you know, silly metaphor I can, and some of you are still just looking at me like you are an angry man. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Jesus still loves you. I love you too. But notice this. When Jesus comes to visit, things get personal. Things get personal. I think this Saul Saul is a reminder that God, God is not going to speak over you. God is not going to speak around you. He is aiming for your heart this morning. To change your way, he has to change your heart. He has to go at the deepest part of who you are. And when he does, everything changes. We see that, that there is a change. He obeys, Saul obeys, and he goes in into the city, as he's told, verse 6, and he waits to hear what he is supposed to do. I want you to realize that in the history of the church, men like uh, um, Augustine, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, uh, in recent memory, last hundred years, these were men who were going their own way, and God radically changed the direction of their lives. The history of the church is filled with God changing hearts, and he's not done. He's waiting for you. The history of the church is God changing hearts and he's waiting for you. He is not done. He wants to do a radical work in your life. He wants you to be Christ-centered. Let me say again, your way will cause wrecks. God's way will lead to reconciliation. Reconciliation with your heavenly Father and reconciliation with your fellow human beings. Friends, how much longer Will you go down the path that is your way? The second thing we see in this text is a change of vocation. And we see here the the, um, phrase, a chosen instrument. What a beautiful picture of what God does. So much of what we do in America, we identify ourselves by our vocation. When you meet somebody for the first time, it wouldn't surprise me if either you didn't ask them or they asked you this question. So where do you work? What do you do? Now, I may be wrong. That may be how everybody in the world and every culture begins the conversation. But my guess is that is more of an American thing than anything else. We tend to identify ourselves more by what we do than who we are. But I want you to realize that sometimes even what we do needs to radically change. Obviously for Saul, I mean, you know, on your resume, what do you do? I murder people. Let's change that around a bit, okay? You know, there's got to be a better job description than that. We got to do better. So yes, he needed a change of vocation. That word vocation comes from the Latin word voca. It just means to speak or or to call. Listen, what's your calling? And I want you to know, you don't have to stand on a pul- in a pulpit like this and preach to have the right vocation. I don't care about that. I want to make sure that whatever you're doing, you're doing it for the glory of God. Sometimes the, the job doesn't change, but your heart does, and that gets everything into its proper place. Now, I'm not much of a pianist. I'll tell you that right now. That's a nice piano right there. It's a really nice piano. But ask these guys who know, it ain't much good if it's out of tune, You could put the best pianist at that piano today, and if it's out of tune, it's not going to do much for anybody, okay? Here's the deal. I believe each one of you have the potential to play the song that God has for you, but many of you, you are out of tune. You need to let the good, great physician change you. 
It's okay. All the things that you are, all the things that you are doing, I'm not saying they're bad, but I am saying they could be better. They could be better. Let Jesus tune you. That's exactly what we see here. And how was Saul tuned up? Well, he was tuned up by this guy by the name of Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there. That's Paul's later commentary of Ananias in Acts 22, 12. But notice, we're just told he was devout and that he was well spoken of by the Jews. We're not told that he had a theological degree. We're not told that he was some kind of fancy preacher or even a deacon. We're just told that he was devout unto God. Ananias was the tune-up man for Saul. I don't think that he could have schooled Saul in theology, but I'll tell you what he could school Saul in, and that was the Holy Spirit. Ananias was filled with the Holy Spirit. So hear me out. You can have the talent. You can have the abilities. But if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're not going to make a difference for the kingdom. We need to be Spirit-filled. We need Jesus all over us to make a difference in this world. I'm asking you today, will you surrender to the call of Jesus? Here we see that every believer has a unique calling on their life. The only question is, have you answered the call of Jesus? Ananias answered the call. And I look out every Sunday at a room filled with people who were all called, but not too many people have found their vocation in Jesus. I look out at a room where your gifts, I know this is true, it's just in any church, where there are so many gifts that are still under the Christmas tree, never to be unwrapped. So many gifts that could bring joy to the kingdom that are going unused. And Jesus is calling. Here, he calls a man to do a hard thing, but he also gives him a hard message. Did you notice this? I want you to hear me right now. If you start following Jesus, life is not going to get easier in this world. Look at what Ananias has to tell Saul. Basically, um, your message to Saul is to tell him how much he will suffer for me. Um, Ananias says, uh, Jesus, um, is there anything else I can share with Saul? <laughs> I'm sure there was. But the main gist was, Saul, you will suffer. Sharing the truth isn't easy, but we must make sure that we say what Jesus would have us say. Listen, will you make a commitment to touch eternity with the time you have left on earth? Brothers and sisters, you are an instrument. You are, right now, you are an instrument. But are you in tune? God wants you to be in tune. The final thing I want to share with you is this. Saul had a change of vision. He saw the light. Jesus changed the direction of your life when he saved you. Once he saved you, he began to show you the spiritual gifts that he placed in your heart. And those gifts are meant to be used for the glory of the kingdom. And I believe this. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Not all of the light is visible. The, the light spectrum has some light that we can't see. Some is um, infrared and some is ultraviolet. Some of it's outside the scope. So here's the deal. Just because you see right now doesn't mean you see everything. 
And I believe that sometimes God has to give us an expansion. If you can imagine with physical sight, being able to see that spectrum below and above, that would be fantastic. But here, here's what we really need today. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the light of Christ. Too many of us are missing the most important light of all. The light of Jesus is always shining. But how many of us are letting that light shine through us? It's never a question of whether or not the light is shining. The question is always, are you allowing the light to shine through you? I pray you experience what Saul experienced in Acts 9, 18. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Listen, strive not for your light to shine, but for Christ's light to shine through you. Notice what I'm saying to you this morning. Saul became great because the light of Christ began to shine through him. Up until that point, he was a luminary. He was a light to his generation. I believe that Saul would have been probably the top young scholar, the top young leader of his generation. He definitely was seen and known. He was not... Uh, He was not somebody that nobody knew about. In fact, Ananias, who's just a regular guy, 150 miles from Jerusalem, knows this guy's name. Saul had a light, but it wasn't Christ's light until the scales fell off his eyes and the Holy Spirit began to work. And when he was able to see Jesus in his fullness and his glory, nothing would ever be the same again. And I believe today, if you will allow the Spirit to open your eyes, it will never be the same in your life either. God wants you to see J.I. Packer, the great, great scholar who went to be with Jesus not too long ago, he defined the gospel this way, Jesus saves sinners. That's not very complicated. It's a man who had one of the most complex minds of of, of the last 50 years, at least. Jesus saves sinners. Hey, if we're going to share the gospel seven times as an individual, if we're going to see a collective 8,400 people uh, come to, to hear the gospel. I want you to realize that, that we need to understand that the power is in Jesus and that Jesus will save those that are called. And I don't understand the mystery there. All I know is, is I'm supposed to be faithful and you are supposed to be faithful. It's not about us picking and choosing. It's about us being faithful to sharing Jesus and the gospel. I'm not asking you to invite people to church. I'm asking you to invite people to Jesus. I'm not telling you to accept our brand at Ridgecrest. I'm telling you that the only thing that makes a difference is is the cross of Christ. Look unto Jesus. His nail-scarred hands. Look to Jesus. He alone can save us. And believer, many of you in this room, you would say that you are saved, but you are struggling. Spiritually, you are dry. The scales need to come off your eyes too. Holy Spirit, cause the scales to fall off my eyes, off the eyes of the people around me. What will we see? Have you thought about this? Sometimes a prayer is a bold thing. Hear me. If the scales come off, what will you see? Probably the first thing you're going to see is your sin. If you allow the Spirit to work, the first thing I fear you're going to see is your sin your brokenness. But once 
you're shook up enough to realize how bad it is. Let me tell you what you see almost instantaneously after you see your sin and brokenness. You see his love and mercy. If the scales come off your eyes this morning, it will be, it will be an experience. If you let down your guard long enough, God will do something radical. Not easy, but radical. If the scales come off this morning, you may have a chance to share the gospel seven times or more. If the scales come off this morning, you may receive Christ for the first time in your life. I don't know, but somehow, some way, whatever is keeping you from seeing the light, I am praying this morning that God will remove that obstacle, that barrier, that you may see Christ. Rise up and be faithful. Ananias rose up and was faithful to witness. Saul rose up and was faithful to go where Jesus told him to go. In both instances, there was faithfulness. As God spoke, people listened and moved. And that's why we have an invitation. It's not a perfect solution. It's not a perfect way to end a service, but it is a way. It's our way because we believe that as the scales come off, we want to give you a chance to act on it now. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till Monday. Brother, sister, if God is speaking, notice again the word in the text. The word is immediately. Immediately. When God works, move. Please. Let God work. Please. Move. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.